0: Uh, happy thanksgiving to everybody i said happy thanksgiving to everybody i'm telling you it's coming up on us a little early this year but that's all right in fact in my house uh, when it comes this early in the year we just pretend the next thursday is also thanksgiving and we eat just as much then and so i hope you have a wonderful wonderful time welcome to all of you that are a guest of ours here at the nine mile campus and Special welcome to those of you that are worshiping with us over at the Spanish Trail Campus. We surely love you. And to all of you that are with us, viewing on Facebook Live or on our website, online streaming, here around the world, wherever you may be, we're thankful for who you are and that you're with us together to worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. We're gonna be taking the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit, so keep that in mind. Today's a very special day. For a lot of different reasons, I'm very thankful to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to be his child. I'm thankful to know that when this life is over, I have an everlasting home in heaven. Christians among all people on the planet ought to be the happiest, the most enthusiastic, and the most grateful people on the planet because we know who we are, who God is, why we're here, what we're to be about while we're here, and where we're going When this life is over. Because of that, our hearts are brimming with gratitude this morning. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as your pastor, I am thankful for you today. Thank you for being here. Our Bibles are open to Acts chapter 27 this morning. The 27th chapter of the book of Acts. I'm going to spend a few minutes today giving you a storm survival field guide a manual, as it were, on your little note sheet there in front of you that you can keep with you, take with you, hopefully hide it in your heart for when you face the next inevitable storm in your life. In fact, the reason that a field guide like this is very important because it is a universal truth. Sooner or later, you will face a major storm in your life no matter who you are, No matter where you live, one of three things is true. You're either just coming out of a storm, you're in a storm right now, or you're about to head into one. And that's true whether or not you live on the Florida Gulf Coast, on the Atlantic Coast, or on the West Coast. Many of you have no doubt seen what's been happening to parts of California in the wake of the incredible wildfires that they've had in recent days. I saw this video just a couple of days ago some of you may have seen it of a young couple trying to get out of a little town called paradise california just west or east rather of chico california and i'm telling you just watching this will give you a panic attack much less being in the car they're trying to get out and the how would you like to be in that car blinded by the smoke blinded by the flames. I'm telling you, just watching it took my breath away. The city of Paradise, California is not there anymore. The whole city, the town burned to the ground and many people lost everything that they had. Well, may I say it this morning, the truth is one of these days, if it hadn't happened already, that kind of thing may not be a literal fire like that and I hope it's not, but that kind of thing's going to happen to you. Might be a relational storm. Might be a storm in your marriage. Might be a financial storm. Might lose your job or your portfolio. Might be a health-related storm. Church this size, somebody's dealing with health issues all the time. Might be a spiritual storm. A barren wasteland, personally. Well, whether it's wind, rain, rain, floods, fires, whatever the case might be. There's going to come a day when the sun gets hidden and life's no longer on cruise control and you're going to have to take the wheel and you're going to have to do what they did. You're going to have to navigate through some very dangerous territory until one way or another, the storm passes by. Now, the reason I say all of that is because here in Acts 27, Paul enters another storm This one is a literal storm at sea. It's not the first metaphorical storm he's ever been through in his life. Paul had actually been shipwrecked twice before. This is the third, best we know, of the shipwreck experiences of the Apostle Paul. And this was a very literal storm that took him just off the coast of Malta, due south of Sicily, which is just south of Italy in the Mediterranean Sea. Y'all will remember, I think, that Paul was being held in Caesarea under the authority of the Roman governor Festus. He'd been accused by the Jews back in Jerusalem of blasphemy against the law, and Paul had appealed his case directly to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And so Festus didn't have any choice, really, but to send him to Rome, even though he himself knew there were really no substantial charges. The man hadn't done anything that was criminal, certainly nothing worthy of death, but because he had appealed to Caesar, the governor was bound to say, you have appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen and to Caesar you shall go. And they put him on a ship, one of a series of ships. They would take a ship from one port to the next and that may have been the final port for that particular boat. They'd have to get off and find another ship to go to the next port. And eventually they would make their way to Rome and that was the way they were traveling. Everything was smooth sailing at first, but before long, the dark clouds began to roll in and the weather turned really nasty. Look with me beginning at Acts chapter 27 and verse nine. This is another very lengthy narrative. I could preach a a series of sermons from Acts 27. And if I'm preaching one sermon, I could attack this passage from about four or five different angles, but we're going to do it this way this morning. And to get us started, let's begin reading in Acts 27 and verse 9. Everybody ready to read? Say amen. amen. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage would be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. On the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kauta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then fearing that they would run aground on the Certis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, They began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, That whether we're in a storm, coming out of one, or about to go in one, the Word of God would provide some helpful leadership for us today that will help us to stay true, stand firm, and stay the course until one day we see Jesus face to face. As for His glory we pray and all God's people said, Amen. One of the things about this particular storm that I want you to notice from the beginning is that this was a storm that could have totally been avoided. And that's true with many of the storms that we end up facing. And so one of the things I think that happens, given the inevitability of the storm, if you're in one or when you go into one, the first thing you ought to do when you find yourself in the middle of a mess is to ask, how did I get here? How did I get in the middle of this kind of mess? Because when you boil it all down, there are really only four sources of difficulty in your life. The first source of difficulty or adversity in your life, can I say it this morning, is you. That's the most common source of difficulty, just bad choices, poor decisions. Now, we want to blame God, but God didn't cause it. And yet, many times, our poor decision-making will lead us into a storm. Secondly, sometimes it's other people. Other people can drag you with them into a mess. It's not of your own making. That's kind of what happens here with the Apostle Paul. Others are making decisions. He's trying to talk them out of it, but they won't listen to him. He's getting his radio channel dialed in directly from heaven, but they don't care. So sometimes other people can lead you into mess. Sometimes it's the devil. There is a real thing called spiritual warfare. Are you aware of that? So sometimes there are schemings of the devil that take place in your life that are designed to trip you up and to cause a real maelstrom in your life, and then sometimes the cause of the difficulty may be the Lord. That's absolutely right. The Bible says God disciplines his children to get you sometimes from point A to point B, particularly when you're not willing. To voluntarily follow the leadership of the Lord sometimes the Lord will bring difficulty into your life in order to stretch or to establish or to grow your faith to grow you and me into maturity and this is part of the reason why the Bible says count it all joy when you fall into various trials because God's always at work regardless of the cause God's always <clears throat> at work and may I say it whether it's your bad decision somebody else's bad decision or the devil, or anything in between, or any combination thereof, God's always at work in it. Nothing happens to your life apart from the permissive hand of God, if indeed you are a child of God. So it's important when you're going through a storm, know the source of it, and the reason that is true is because it may be helpful. If you know how you got into the mess, it may be helpful to know that in order to know how best to deal with it. And how do you know? Well, you ask God to show you. You pray, and you say, Lord, these are tough times. Show me, am I responsible for this in some ways? Is there something that I need to do? Is there some response on my part? Or is this just something that you're up to in my life? God may not always give you a reason for what's going through, and he's under no obligation to give you or me a reason. Sometimes you just simply have to learn to trust that God's working for your good, even through a very painful circumstance. But at other times, particularly if the storm is a result of your own sin, sinful choices, unwise choices on your part, if you ask God, God will give you wisdom so that you're wise enough to repent of it, you can turn away from it, begin to honor God with your life and live with obedience. There are some mistakes that are made here by these professional sailors in Acts chapter 27. They made three common mistakes that inevitably lead people into trouble, mistakes that we often make today. I'm going to give you three, and I want you to write them down this morning. The first is that sometimes we listen to bad advice. This ship was not quite halfway in its journey to Rome, and they drifted off course to the south. The Bible says they docked at a port on the island of Crete called Fair Havens, which apparently was not such a fair place to be in the winter time. but that's where they are. And they wanted to get out of there because the sailors reckoned this is not the best place for us to stay in the wintertime. What they didn't know is that it was riskier to set sail than to stay put right where they were. Paul tries to warn them. He has a word from the Lord. We ought not set sail this time of year. In fact, it may well be that Paul was one of, if not the most experienced traveler on the boat. Could well have been. He'd been all over the world on ships before. And so he kind of knew, and he tries to warn them this is not the best time of the year to set sail. Sailing's tricky in the wintertime in the Mediterranean. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul, and by extension, the Lord, had said. So God had already said, don't do it. But because the experts said it was all right, they did it anyway. Paul's counsel was to wait. And that was part of the problem. How many of you here like to wait? Nobody likes to wait. We don't, hear that from, we don't want to hear that from people, much less from God. But Paul's counsel is to wait. Nobody likes to do that. They didn't want to do that. There was probably an economic impact to their waiting because this is not a Princess cruise liner. It's a cargo ship that they're aboard. They're carrying cargo. There's money to be made. There are timelines to be met, and they were in a hurry. And because they were in a hurry, their impatience led them right into a storm. How many of you have ever gotten into trouble before because you ignored God and listened to the experts? Can I have an amen this morning? Financial experts. Physical experts. Experts. Automotive experts, psychological experts, construction experts, maybe even spiritual experts. Dare I say it? I'm pretty sure over the last 25 years, my counsel hadn't always been right to people. I've probably given people some bad counsel before. Humans are prone to doing that. And I won't want anybody to get me wrong. I believe in seeking experts. I do it in my own life. When I need help, when I need guidance, when I need wisdom, I go to people that I can trust, people that know more about a subject than I do. But here's the deal, here's the deal. Are y'all with me, amen? If God tells you to do one thing and an expert tells you to do something else, you're always better off to go with God. Even though the expert might think you to be a fool for doing that, don't let an expert divert you away from what you know and understand and experience to be the clear will of God. There is wisdom, the Bible says, and a multitude of counsel, and you ought to seek counsel. That's a biblical thing to do. But sometimes even godly counsel can contradict the clear will of God. Sometimes he'll hide it in your heart. He won't necessarily write it on a big placard But you'll know in your heart what the Lord is leading you to do. And everybody around you might be telling you, you ought not do this. It won't pay in the long run. There's no money in doing that. When that happens, you're always better off to go with God. So beware of bad advice. That's the first problem that we have here. Secondly, a second thing we tend to do, we follow the crowd. Anybody here ever followed a crowd into a mess because they didn't want to get left out? We're told here in... Verse 12, that the majority, circle the majority, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Oh, the majority. I'm just telling you, we've lived in democratic culture for so long, democratic society with democratic ideals, most of us our whole lives. Because of that, sometimes we've come to believe that the majority is always right. Can I say it? The majority is not always right. That's true biblically. 10 out of the 12 spies that said we ought not go into Canaan because we can't take it were dead wrong. And everybody followed the majority, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because the majority ruled. Last time I checked, the majority was wrong in Jerusalem when they shouted, crucify him. Majority wasn't right. The majority wasn't right when they thought Moses had died on the mountain and everybody said, hey, wouldn't it be great to build a golden calf? Everybody said yes, and they did. Even the brother of Moses got caught up in that. The majority was dead wrong. you got to be careful about following the majority. There were 276 people on this ship, Luke will tell us later on in the chapter, 276, nearly 300 people, crew and passengers, Luke has two, or Paul rather, has two traveling companions with him. Luke is with him. The reason that we know that is because you see the word we all the time, right? So Luke has got a first hand. And by the way, if you read this whole chapter, notice the incredible detail. Detail, detail, detail. Luke is writing from the first person here. So he's got Luke with him and he's got a guy from Thessalonica in Macedonia named Aristarchus. So Paul has been allowed two traveling companions, and best we can tell, only Paul and the two brothers with him, and I'm having to conjecture about the two brothers, only those three voted to go with God and say, we need to stay here for the wintertime, because that's what the Lord has said. What this is right here is really a question of peer pressure. Peer pressure is a real deal, and it's a long truth that peer pressure gets people into a lot of trouble. Unless you think, well, Pastor, I wish you would preach this to the kid to the kids. Man, it's just as real for you. This is just a real deal for all of us. Peer pressure gets you in a lot of unmanageable debt because people tell you to do something, make financial decisions that you don't need to do. But you'd rather please them than please God. Peer pressure gets you into all kinds of bad habits. Unhealthy relationships, maybe even lead you into illegal activity, all because you listen to a cacophony of voices rather than seeking the clear and unmistakable voice of the Lord. Be very careful about following the crowd. And you know why that's true? Because that crowd isn't looking out for you. They're not looking out for you. They're pushing you for their own best interest. They're looking out for themselves, not for you. Anybody that would lead you to do something unbiblical, unhealthy, something that would cause you to sin, can I say it? I'm not sure they're really your friend. So be very careful about following the crowd. Another common mistake is that we tend to judge by appearance. We judge by appearance. We judge the book by its cover, which is another thing that can lead to disastrous consequences. Look again at verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Paul tried to warn them but they decided to go anyway. Why? Because they had that nice warm southerly wind. Man it was a beautiful day for sailing. I think we're going to be all right. Look at the kind of day that we've got to sail. And so They made a decision based on what they observed, but the problem was looks were deceiving. May I say they often still are today? Let me say to some people here this morning that girl, that guy you're chasing after, they may look great, but I'm just telling you, you better be careful. They may not be God's very best for your life. Don't judge by appearance. That house may look spectacular. But you may have to jump right over the Lord in order to buy it. That may not be God's will for your life, or that next car that you might buy may be the best thing ever. And and the guy at the mortgage company is telling you how easily you can afford this. No problem, right? I remember Judy and I bought our first house, we sat down, I couldn't believe what the banker looked across the desk and told us we could afford he said, you ought to be able to afford this as a mortgage. And I looked at it, and my eyes nearly popped out of my head. And I said, we can't afford that. Oh, yes, you can. Be careful about judging by appearances. You know why? Because the, va- <laughs> the, the vacation paradise always looks better in the brochure, doesn't it? Just because you got an open door doesn't mean God's the one opening it. Doesn't mean you ought to walk through it. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 4, test the spirits to see whether they be from God. If any of you lacks wisdom, the Bible says, James 1, let him ask of God, who gives abundantly, generously, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. All you have to do is ask. God is not the author of confusion, but a God of order, a God of peace. Why would God, what does God have to gain by making his will confusing? Not a thing. The problem is you just got to get over your want to. That's the problem. Because when God ever leads us in a direction that's different from what we really want, what we want to get our arms around, or what we want to experience, sometimes it's very easy to go running to the pastor and say, I just can't figure out what God's up to. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Most of the time, you just are at odds with it. So you have to be very careful about judging by appearance. God had already said no. Don't go. And here's Paul, a prisoner, an innocent party, drug along into something that he had no control over because other people made decisions based on what seemed right at the time. Everybody with me so far? So these are common mistakes that we tend to make oftentimes independently of the will of God that if you're not careful can lead you right into the vortex of a storm. So when you're in understand why you're there. How did I end up here? But let me tell you, understanding why you're there is only a first response. Even more important is to know, okay, I'm here. Now what do I do? How am I supposed to respond to this storm? And what am I supposed to learn from this storm? That's very important because what happens to you is not nearly so important as what the Lord wants to accomplish in you. What can I learn from this storm? incredible experience that I don't like very much well let's begin our descent this morning by looking at three ways not to respond when you're going through a storm these are all lifted right out of this narrative this morning three ways not to respond when you're in a storm and if you want the positive just do opposite of what I'm telling you not to do this morning and you'll typically be in good shape first of all when you find yourself in the middle of a storm don't drift Don't drift. Right on cue for this time of year. Didn't take long for them to get away from the land, out to the open sea, and this incredible storm blows in from the northeast. Prototypical northeaster. That's what the word in the Greek, uh, eurokoulon, it's it's two words. It means east wind and north wind. Northeaster. And that can be typically one of the fiercest kinds of storms. It's fierce. It's often cold. It's unmanageable, and we're told in verse fifteen that when the ship was caught and could not face into the wind, we gave way to it and were what? Say it out loud. Dribble on. Hands off. You're just kind of going in whatever direction that the wind blows you. Now, if you read on ahead in the narrative, you're going to know this isn't any pop up shower. The, the Bible says they were they didn't see the sun nor the stars for two weeks. For a fortnight, two weeks, they were basically in darkness or semi-light. They couldn't get their bearings. They couldn't use their instruments. They they couldn't see the stars. They had no idea where they were. They were just adrift out on the open sea, and that's what can happen to you if you're not careful. The thing about storms is storms can numb you. They can dull your sensibilities. They can dull you spiritually. They can mesmerize you into unproductive, drifting kinds of living. Storms will discourage you. They'll depress you. And the thing that I found as I've navigated a storm or two in my life is it is easy to lose sight of God. The clouds tend to block your view of your heavenly Father. And all you're concerned about is not seeking the Lord, whom you cannot see and cannot sense, but instead you're trying to come up with your own way to get out of the mess. You just drift along, there's no focus, there's no real spiritual direction. Sometimes you even run away from God, you'll go exactly the opposite direction that God really wants you to go. How many of you have ever known people who've been faithful in church, they've been here, They've served in some kind of way, and then something really tough happens in their life, and the next thing you know, they're just on the run. They quit coming to church. They get mad at God. Y'all ever known people like that before? They're going the wrong way. This is normal in life. These kinds of experiences happen to all of us. Storms are not abnormal. Beware of the Christian preachers on television that tell you that if you're in a storm, it's always your fault, or that being in a storm is always abnormal. Or if you have enough faith, you'll always have all your bills paid, you'll always have a job, you'll always live in a 4,500-square-foot house just honor God. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. No, that's, that's not right. It's normal to go through storms of one kind or another. What's important is to stay focused to stay tightly tethered to God, to not lose sight of God and to not get angry with God. God's always at work, even though you don't understand and even though you can't always see it. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews is a book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a difficult book sometimes to understand, but it's one of the best in the Bible because it's written to people, Christian people that are going through a storm. They're persecuted for their faith. Many of them are wondering if their faith is worth it. And they're on the verge of teetering wandering off from the faith and the writer of the Hebrews writes in chapter 2 and verse 1 therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we what drift away from it in other words pay attention stay focused don't lose heart some of you are talking crazy talk like you're going to wander away from the church and the reason that you're doing that is because you've just started to drift spiritually. You've taken your eyes off the Lord or you've become angry with God because it's not perfect and let me remind you the author will say you're not in heaven yet. This is not heaven and beware of getting too closely attached to this little ball in space called earth because this world is not your home. And if you understand that, you'll tend to be less disappointed when spiritual cyclones come through your life. Pay more careful attention to what you have heard and to what you know to be truth. Because the inevitable result of not doing that is spiritual drift, and that takes you nowhere. Paul knows the typical rodeo when a storm hits. So did the author of the Hebrews. You lose your bearings, so stay intentional. Stay focused on the Lord. Don't drift whatever you do. Keep doing those things. Worship the Lord, sing joyful songs, celebrate life, pray to God daily. Stay connected with the people of God and you'll ensure that you don't drift when you're in the middle of a storm. Second, when you're in a storm, don't bail. Don't bail, don't bail out. Verse 18 says that when the storm intensified, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, throwing it overboard. There goes their income when they get to port in Rome. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. They needed that stuff for navigation. And eventually, if you read on, you'll find they start throwing the food overboard. Well, you kind of like need that to live right? So they're throwing everything overboard. And why are they doing it? Because everybody's in a panic. Now, I know we're on that deal. We'd probably be trying to do the same thing. Only remember that God has spoken, got a man of God on the board, uh, on board the ship. He's been telling them this, what the Lord has told me. And uh, yet there's panic. I told you about the Navy SEAL a couple of weeks ago that gave me that wonderful phrase, calm is contagious. I love that. I've got that written in my Bible. Calm is contagious. May I say it? So is panic. Amen. Panic is contagious too. And this is the most common reaction when you're in a storm. Y'all know how many people I've seen totally stressed out, panic attacks over what's going on in life lose composure, get mad, get frustrated, start to abandon stuff. It's amazing how quickly people in a culture of ease are willing to throw in the towel and give up at the first sign of adversity. Man, just let a bad thing happen. Next thing you know, what do people say? Sayonara, adios, I'm out of here. This bird has flown, baby, right? Right? But most of the time, it's not God telling you to do that. One of my favorite parts of this passage begins down in verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Unless you stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away. So evidently there's army and navy on the boat. And the soldiers do what the sailors won't do, and they cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, the skiff, the dinghy, as it's sometimes called, and let it what? Say it out loud. They they let it go they did what they cut the lifeboat and they let it go to force everybody to stay with the ship i don't know why the lord had told paul that everybody needs to stay with the ship lest they lose their life but the lord wanted them all together maybe they were all needed for a very uncertain future but the instruction is clear unless you stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Can I just say here this morning, are y'all still with me? Say amen. Some people in the house today need to cut the lifeboat and turn it loose. God can't bless you because you keep, you're keeping the lifeboat tied. And as long as that lifeboat is tied, you've got your way out. And it's probably not God's will for you to run. Cut the lifeboat, lifeboat loose. Have you done that in your marriage? Have you cut the lifeboat loot in your, loose in your marriage? When I do premarriage counseling, I make those couples, they don't have to do it in front of me, but I make them look at one another. I say, before you get married, you need to look at one another and say, divorce is not going to be an option with me. It's not an option. Not an option. I've told that to Judy. I'll tell her again. She'll be in here in the second hour. I'll look over at her in the second hour. She sits over there. And I'll say, honey, the only dingy left in this relationship is me because I've cut the other one loose. I've cut it loose. And I've let it go. You got to do that because otherwise, when the difficulties come, you'll always be tempted to get in the boat, sail away. Unless you stay with the ship, you cannot be... Say, that's just another way of saying, there is no joy, there is no deliverance, there is no victory to those whose first response when times get tough is to run away when it is God's will for you to stand and fight. Stand firm. The biblical response is always persist. Stay true, keep your promises, work it out. Cut the lifeboats loose. Because to run from a difficult situation means you miss the lessons God wants you to learn that you can only learn when you face adversity and difficulty. You run, you're just going to face the problem again later. You're just going to carry that mess with you into the next situation, the next circumstance, the next relationship. Sometimes there are times to walk. Sometimes. That's true. Sometimes it's time to cut the cord. But most of the time, you just need to fight. Fight for it. Ask God to bless it. Because unless a situation is going to cause you to sin or clearly compromise the word of God, stay the course. Because victory belongs to those who persist, who stay with the ship. And then finally, don't despair. Don't drift. Don't bail. Don't despair. Don't lose heart. Sometimes when you've made that decision to stay the course, all right, I cut the lifeboat loose. I'll let it go. Let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. Things might get worse before they get better. Fire might get a little hotter for a while. Wind might get a little stronger for a while. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They lost hope. That's when you're in a real bad place. You lose hope, you got nothing left. They'd been in darkness for 14 days. They didn't know where they were. They were totally adrift, didn't know where they were going. They'd thrown their supplies overboard, thrown their food overboard. And the last thing they threw overboard was their hope that they were going to live. That's what always happens when you lose sight of God. You'll, if, you, if, if you lose sight of God long enough, you'll eventually lose hope. When you forget that Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, is ruling and reigning on a throne, that Jesus is Lord, and yes, that means he is Lord even of the storm. When you forget that, when you forget he's always in control, when you forget he's always at work, when you forget that he always can be trusted, you'll lose hope and you'll lose heart. See, Paul was hanging on to the promise of God. He's tight with the Lord. He's hanging on. You know what God had said to him? You will testify in Rome. There was no way to misunderstand that. Paul was able to say to these guys, Luke, I'm tight with the Lord The Lord has talked to me in unmistakable ways over these past many years and I understand what his will for my life is. He wants me to testify the gospel of grace in the imperial court of Rome and he has told me that I will testify in Rome. Therefore, stay with the ship. By staying with the ship, you're staying with me because I can tell you one thing, I'm going to Rome. Therefore, this boat may go down, but we're not going to go down because God will fulfill his promise to get me where he wants me to be in this life. And because of that, they did. You remember when Jesus was caught in that storm in the boat with his disciples in the Gospels? Twelve of those guys on board, plus Jesus made 13. They're all going nuts. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the back of the boat. What do the disciples do? they go back there and wake him up. You need to have a panic attack with us because we're all going to die. They don't know how to rest in the Lord. And he basically tells them, do you really think that God's going to let you go down with this boat with me in it? That didn't even make sense. Christ was in the boat with them. That boat wasn't going anywhere. And here's the thing. How many of you know Jesus is Lord and Savior? He's right here. You think God's going to let you go down with Christ in you? You say, well, I still could die. Yeah, you might die. But here's the thing. You go straight to heaven. That's a good deal. That's okay. Your life's not going to get shipwrecked. You just turn the corner and stand in the presence of glory. Amen. But you're not going to go down. Because that's not the way God operates with his kids. Jesus wants to give you peace in the midst of your storm today. But so many of us are in the middle of one and we're just a bundle of nerves. And maybe all hope is lost. I want you to remember this. God's not gonna let you go down with Christ in you. Now, this story does end with a shipwreck But how many of these people on that ship lose their life? How many? Not one. They finally got around to doing what Paul said the Lord wanted them to do. And the ship cracked up, but they didn't. And this is a wonderful principle. As you go through a storm, you better make sure that your ultimate confidence is in God and not in the ship. Whatever that ship might be. Whether it's the ship of a relationship, the ship of your money, the ship of your possessions, the ship of your hobbies. Because all stuff, God may take every bit of that stuff away at some point. But if your hope and confidence is in him, everything around you might be gone in a nanosecond. Just talk to some people in Panama City today. But you'll still be standing because your confidence was in God, not in a broken vessel. Everything around you might crumble and fall, but you don't have to. Stay focused, stay firm, stay faithful. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. God is on his throne. You remember that couple driving through the raging forest fire? Man alive. They kept driving and they kept driving. And we're not rolling the audio, but I can tell you that woman is praying to Jesus on the audio. She's praying the whole time. And the just at the moment that all hope seems lost, you can't even see the cars in front of you. The smoke is so thick. They're navigating as best as they can. Look what happens next. All of a sudden, it opens up into radiant sunlight and the clouds roll away and the light enters the picture and everything that was at once chaotic was at once calm again. Don't be afraid, children. Stay tight with God. Don't panic. Don't bail. Don't lose heart. God has made promises to you that he fully intends to keep and if you trust him, he'll keep you safe till the storm passes by.